Hi everyone, this is the Supported Sobriety Podcast. I'm Matt, and I'm in recovery from an addiction to pornography. And I'm Katie, and I've been married to Matt and supporting him in his addiction for four years. We created this podcast to bring hope, healing, and greater understanding to both men struggling with pornography addiction and women who support someone struggling with an addiction. I upload episodes for men with pornography addictions. And I upload episodes for the women who are supporting their loved one. We share real stories from members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but anyone is welcome to listen, and we believe everyone can benefit from finding peace through Jesus Christ. We hope that this podcast can bring you closer to Jesus Christ and help you on your journey of recovery and healing. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Supported Sobriety. Hi guys, this is Katie and Matt. We are here doing... A joint episode. We're super excited to share this story with you guys. This is one that we've been looking forward to this whole time, so we hope that you enjoy it. We also wanted to say that we just started going to the in-person couples support and addiction meetings, and it was so awesome. We went last week for our first time, and it felt so good to be back with the couples, with the senior missionaries. We loved it so much. So if that is something that you and your significant other are interested in, let us know and we can give you more details about it. Or you can look on the church's website um, and it will kind of give you details there too. But if you aren't interested in the couples meeting, I know there are a lot of other meetings that are kind of starting to go back in person. So you can check out the church's website to find updated information for your area. And just to give you an overview of our episode tonight, it is a longer one and it has a lot of incredible content, but the story is pretty complicated and a lot of things happen. So we wanted to give you kind of a brief overview so that you can follow along and understand where things are going. So in this episode, we interview our friends Russ and Angie. They're an amazing couple that we met actually at the couples meeting um, when we first started attending. And they were always just rocks of the group. They were continually going and always uplifting people, sharing great insights. And so we, we really wanted to get them on the show. In addition to that, they also have an incredible story. So Russ has an addiction to pornography that started at a pretty young age and went unchecked for many years and developed eventually kind of in his marriage and um, later in his life into emotional affairs and going on to chat groups to try to connect with people and, and really just seeking out connection through different ways. Through two deployments and two kids and even going to jail, uh, Russ really struggled to overcome his addiction and Angie stuck with him the entire time and they were able to overcome it together. We just wanted to add that Russ never had any history with child pornography and no photos were ever shared with anyone underage. Like I said, Russ does go to jail. In this episode, he talks about that experience and a lot of hard things happened to him and he made a lot of poor choices. But I hope that as you watch this episode, you can see him for who he is today and how far he's come. He's had to work on a lot of character flaws, um, a lot of his struggles, a lot of weaknesses, and really get to a different place. So I hope, like anyone on this show, that you can see him for who he is today and what he's become. And as well as loving Russ, it is really easy to love Angie. She is so kind, so compassionate, and so patient. She is someone that I have looked up to so much as I've gotten to know her and heard more about their story. She is just so resilient, and it's amazing to me to see how she has stuck by Russ's side through all of it 
and how they have both come out stronger together as a couple. And she shares a really beautiful testimony of Heavenly Father and of Jesus Christ and how they really just helped her get through this, even though she there were some times where she was trained to decide if she wanted to stay with Russ or not. So Angie is also just so amazing. You will love both of them. We're really excited for you to hear both of their stories. Okay, we're here with Russ and Angie. We are super excited to hear both of their stories. Thanks so much for coming on, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, this is awesome. We are so excited to hear more about each of your perspectives of your journey and everything that you guys have been through. So before we kind of get started and jump into your stories, we just want to hear a little bit more about you. Why don't one of you tell us about yourselves, about your family, what you guys are up to right now? I don't know. We're just hanging out. It's uh, enjoying family time. Russ has been working from home and it's been a kind of a challenge trying to figure that out with kids and all that crazy stuff. Angie, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about homeschooling. How has that been going? Did you just start doing it since the pandemic or have you always done homeschool? No, I've always done it. So this is Skylar's third year, I think, fourth year. I don't even know. Um, But he started with his first year of preschool. He did two years of that and kindergarten in that first grade. Um, And it's kind of, I feel lucky that we started homeschooling before all this happened because Mm -hmm. we already kind of had our feet in the ground and knew a little bit of what we were doing, even though it's still like a learning process. But um, yeah, we're very lucky. And it's nice to be, for me to be home with my kids all the time and enjoy all the, all the things that go on with them. So I like it. How fun. I love that. I've always wanted to. Yeah. We've talked about that quite a bit with our, like homeschooling our boys. Um, I, I think it sounds really awesome. Katie's kind of converted me a little bit more to that. And also COVID's kind of helped me see that it, it, it could be more of like a thing, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel bad for a lot of friends that were kind of forced into it or doing like yeah. home learning, but they're still going through the school district because yeah. it's not actually like you're still having to follow someone else's rules and someone else's guidelines. And that's really hard. That's so true. So like, yeah. Yeah. Well, what about you guys as a couple? Would you, do you guys have hobbies together or what do you like to do when you're kind of not with the kids or when you're not doing family stuff? Um, no, we don't. No. <laughs> well, I think in the summer we do more like we enjoy rock climbing together and like take our kids with us sometimes. Um, and like going on family hikes, we usually do one every Sunday so that's something that like we all do together, but I guess yeah. together, together, it's like watch a movie and eat popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty much Kids sleeping <laughs> and it's like our last hour before bed. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think even for myself, I've been trying to do like less of my own thing and doing more family stuff. Um, even this last year, like I picked up fishing and so, and that's a very solo sport. activity and which I love it though it's so much fun and so I've tried getting the family and the kids out um, and they just get so bored of it really quick uh, uh, yeah they just this is no fun that's you know it's hot or it's cold and uh, so that that I think is probably (laughs) probably my only like solo activity now yeah we do every else we've kind of converted to like how can we make this more of a family activity uh-huh. uh, family outing whether it's even just simple camping uh-huh. uh, let's just get out you know car camping as opposed to 
the backpacking trips and stuff that I had wanted to do, you know, like, let's just, yeah, load the car up and and go out to the mountains or go out to the desert for the night. That's so fun. I love that, actually. I mean, that's what, that's what our life is like. We put the kids down and then our baby's like crying for most of the evening. We get like an hour of quiet time before we go to sleep ourselves, (laughs) you know, so we don't really get out and do much, but... (laughs) I think it's harder right now too with the pandemic. It's like, it's not like you can just go out and do whatever you want, you know, especially to think about, okay, do I want to have to wear a mask the whole time or, you know, this and that. It's just like, is it even worth it? No, let's just stay home. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so true. Well, good. I love that. Thanks for telling us a little bit more about you guys. Yeah. So let's dive in and and talk about... um, Russ, your addiction, and um, Angie, your kind of role as a support person. Um, and I, I'd like to start um, from the beginning and just kind of hear, Russ, about like how your addiction started, um, kind of when it started, and what, what that looked like, um, uh, like kind of initially for you. Uh, yeah, so I was probably about eight or nine years old when I first found some like, uh, they were like comic books, they were like a graphic novel type, uh, pretty, they had some, you know, nudity and uh, inappropriate drawings and pictures in it. And that I think is how I got started initially. And then uh, my stepdad as well, he had magazines and videos and we were always finding them like randomly. Um, there's times where we'd watch a movie we pull the movie out of, out of old, you know, VHS, we pull the VHS out put it into the VCR and push play. And then it was a, a porno. Like somehow he got oh, his VHS mixed up with ours and we're like, this is not the cartoon. Like, oh man. And so we kind of were, he was pretty, pretty relaxed with it just being around the house. And uh, uh, my mom really didn't know any different or uh, have any say, I guess. Um, or if she did, like he didn't take her seriously enough to change it or anything um so then it was this that and these magazines um uh access was just like easy even uh i remember i'd even go down to the library and uh the library didn't have anything that blocked any of that uh i'd, I'd be down there and i'd print something and then run over to the printer real quick and pull it off before somebody would find it and then I'd have like have this little stash I'd take home. That's really how I got started. It was just so easy to get uh, when I was young. And then uh, it just kind of stuck like that for a few years until I, uh, you know, teenager uh, went into, uh, as I was going to teenage years, I, I had approached the bishop several times, uh, you know, different bishops as they rotated and they just kind of, it was new thing, you know, for people to be talking about and stuff, I guess. And they wouldn't have training like they do now. They didn't have the resources. There was no uh, 12-step program or ARP that they were aware of. They just say, okay, well, stop doing it and uh, report to me in two weeks mm-hmm. or let me know how it goes next time I see you. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I stopped, you know, for two days and then I'm just back at it and I wouldn't see the bishop again for six six months and then it's how's it going uh 
no change, you know, nothing, nothing different. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, just, just stop. Like, you can just, just stop. Like, just don't do it. Okay, let me try that again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, and then I just continued like that until uh, I entered boot camp. Uh, of course, there's nothing in boot camp, so there's a good two months of um, at least not viewing anything, anyways. I think I'd still be able to act out, and, you know, like late at night or whatever when I get some privacy, but that's about it. And then um, after that, my first duty station is kind of when I met Angie. Um, it got back into the same kind of pattern. Uh, nothing really changed, just standard pornography, websites, internet stuff. Um, I had actually thought I had, was hiding it pretty well, you know, from my computer. She, uh, I don't know if we were dating. I'm a super spy. Yeah, apparently <laughs> she was aware of it. I, I thought, oh no, she's never seen it. Like she, she never was on my computer, didn't know about it, or if she was, she, you know, I was with her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, apparently she, she knew about it. <laughs> Yeah, Angie, so uh, how did you how did you first come upon it or how did you first start finding out about his addiction? Well, and, and maybe also like how did you guys meet and yeah. like kind of what what went into that? Yeah, so um we met at church. Like you said, he got stationed in South Carolina, and that's where I was living at the time with my family. Um, and he walked into church wearing his navy white uniform. So he like stood out like a sore yeah. thumb. <laughs> and I- I happened to notice him. Um, I was really sick Everybody that day. Noticed Everybody noticed him. <laughs> um, I was sick that Sunday, but I went because I was teaching sunbeams. And so I felt like I had to be a, go be a teacher. And um, when we were leaving church, actually, my stepdad was like, hey, did you notice that sailor? And I was like, yeah, of course I noticed him. Really <laughs> Who <good>? did it? <laughs> yeah. You should go back inside because we're already in the car. He's like, you should go back inside and talk to him, like introduce yourself. And I was just like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, I look gross. I am sick. Like, that's not <laughs> a good situation. But I went in there anyways. And as I was going back into the church building, he was getting ready to come out. So we were like in that little foyer mm-hmm. thing in the middle between doors. And I just like really quickly introduced myself. And I asked him if he wanted to hang out the next day. We were going to go play tennis with some friends. And I needed a partner. We hung out the next day. We played tennis. I don't even remember how we did. But then when he dropped me off at my parents' house, my mom invited him for dinner. And he was, you know, a hungry sailor living in barracks, eating <laughs> microwave food. And he stayed for dinner. And then she extended the invitation indefinitely. And he was over at my house every single day. <laughs> that is <laughs> so cute. <laughs> Good for your mom. <laughs> she, she, she made all of my whatever I wanted. Yeah, she did. She still does. She still does, yeah. She still spoils him rotten. That is so cute. Um, But yeah, that's about about it. So, and Um, did you find out about his addiction? Did you say it was earlier on when you were... Um, actually, I think, like, it was fairly on into the relationship. I think we've been dating for maybe, like, five or six months. And I remember finding it in his computer, but I remember seeing it and I was just like caught off guard at first. Like, that's not what I think it is. And then I like started searching and found a lot of images and stuff. And so I was like really shocked. And I remember like confronting him. I'm, I'm probably yelling actually. I don't, I would, <laughs> no, not yelling. Okay. 
feel like that's my way of communicating sometimes. <laughs> I was really, really upset because I just thought like, thought like, well, we've been married. Like, why is he even still looking at this? That should not be necessary anymore. That kind of thing. And um, that's what I thought too. It's like, oh, once I get married, like, why would I need this? Like, yeah, it won't be a problem. I have a wife and, you know, like, why would I need to do this? And then he told me he was never going to do it again. And then I remember finding it again shortly after and confronting him again. And then he, like I said, he left for deployment. So it was just kind of like, well, maybe things will get better, but fearing everything was going to get worse because we were going to be separated. And that deployment was really, really bad. When he got home from deployment, it was just like, it was really bad. Like I remember like finding things all the time. That's when he started his first like emotional affair. Mm -hmm. And I was just devastated that I had been like, that had stayed with him, you know, for eight months. How long were you deployed? Seven, eight months? Seven months. That I had stayed with him, that I had tried and that I was trying to do all these things to like help him get over this. Mm -hmm. And then he got home from deployment. He was so detached from me emotionally, physically, like everything spiritually. Um, and then, yeah, he started an emotional affair. And by the time we hit our second year anniversary, I remember we were at SeaWorld in San Diego where we live. And he was on his phone the whole time, just like texting someone else. And I was just like, I don't know, what am I even doing? Um, so, but yeah, even then it was still, before I even understood that it was an addiction that, you know, what was going on was deeper than I thought. Um, and then I think that's when we started going to therapy right around there. I ended up getting Russ to go with me to therapy and we went to therapy and she challenged him to go 30 days without talking to this person. And that was huge. Like it was hard. I remember Russ, Russ was like going through withdrawals. Mm -hmm. Like I remember he told me the first time he was in the therapist's office, he like felt like his head was spinning like you know, like a Satan and the angels like fighting in his brain. Like he was just like going up, like the room was going crazy. Um, but then yeah, during those 30 days, he like was getting phantom vibes, like headaches, like all these things that I was like, what? Like yeah. from not talking on the phone to this person, like that's crazy. But yeah, ultimately that's like what saved our marriage that one time is that he was able to stay off of the phone for that time. And the first two weeks were really hard. And then after that, he started kind of coming to it. Yeah. And realizing that what she was doing was wrong. Wow. That must have been really hard for both of you to experience that, I'm sure. Yeah. And then right after we got through that first therapist and what I thought we were, you know, we were on safe waters or clear waters, whatever the expression is, he got a call that he was deploying again. Outside the therapist's office. Yep. <laughs> oh, no. Like we were literally in the therapist's office. And he got a call that he was deploying again and he was going to be gone for a whole year. And he was going to have six months training before that. And I was just like, I barely survived this one deployment. I can't do it again. I was just like, I was really, really, really upset. Our first anniversary, I was in Kuwait. Uh, third anniversary, I was in Kuwait. Afghanistan. Afghanistan, yeah. Um, and, and then, yeah, deployments and trainings and overnighters and everything. was It was bad. It was hard. And so... And the whole time I didn't realize what betrayal trauma was, but I was having really bad anxiety, like constantly questioning every single thing that was going in my mind, questioning Russ, questioning where he was, questioning if he was in that training, like, is he actually where he's supposed to be, you know, especially because he was having to stay at the night at base. I was just like, is he with someone else right now? Yeah, It was insane. 
I don't even know how I got through this time in my life because I think I really had a hard time recognizing what was real and what wasn't because my mind was just all over the place. I bet that must have been so hard, Angie. I can't imagine how difficult that would have been for you. It sounds like the first years of your marriage were really difficult on both of you for different reasons. But Angie, what made you feel like you wanted to keep going in the marriage? Like, why did you stick with it? I think mostly, honestly, it's because I grew up in a broken home. My parents were divorced when I was 10. And I didn't want to like go through that, even though we didn't have kids yet. I just didn't want to have to go through a divorce. But also, I just had this huge love for him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I mean, I, I was hurting. He was hurting me, not intentionally, but he was hurting me. But still, I had that love for him. And I just, I don't know, I couldn't let go of it. I did think about divorce a couple times. And we talked about divorce a couple times. Mm-hmm. And we just never went through it. I mean, before that first therapist, I think we were talking about getting divorced and um, ended up not because he was cured, you know, because she solved everything. Um, and we talked really, really good about how going into his second deployment, like things had to be different. Like I couldn't go through the same thing. I couldn't wait a whole other year plus of my life just for him to come home and like, start everything over again with Mm -hmm. the emotional affairs and all that stuff and you know of course he was thinking he was cured because he had been good for a month or so I don't know and Russ what was it like for you at this time like were you going to meetings did you kind of were you aware that like you kind of have an addiction what what were your thoughts we had we had no idea about anything like that um this whole time it was just the one therapist that we uh we have been seeing uh, just for, again, a little bit. I mean, Angie saw her for a month by herself and then we saw her for a month together and then I was out training again. We had no idea about uh, any recovery programs, uh, any 12 steps, we had nothing, nothing like that. It was just trying it on my own, not trying not to do anything. The second appointment was a little, uh, I wanna say like easier, it was still hard. So out there in Afghanistan, we had internet access, uh, you know, being a government stuff, so it was like a satellite internet, you know, and knowing that things were uh, recorded and like tr- copied and, you know, and anybody could see what we were looking at and everything that, that still didn't stop me. Um, oh, and also out there, like we worked with a British base and the Brits, they had magazines. They were, they weren't like porn, but it was, uh, ex, you know, they were exposed. It was all, it was ma- full magazine. I mean, I had, there was, we, we inherited a stack from the team that we took over for. There was no joke, a stack, probably uh, three and a half feet tall. Oh like just in all, there of all these magazines from like two years, just building up, uh, you know, every month the new issue came out and wow. one of the Marines would bring it back. And yeah, it, it just, it was, so it was still hard to do that. Um, it's still bad. We even talked about it one day and I like, I boxed, boxed them up real quick before like nobody saw me. And I just, I took everything I could find then in different boxes, carried them out to the burn pit and threw them out there. Uh, hmm. And got rid of what I, what I could anyways. And uh, so hard, uh, but it, we had no idea about any recovery or anything like that. And then it wasn't until I was on deployment 
Yeah. It was closer to when I was returning. We had a, another couple friend in our ward in California there and um, who her husband was going through the same kind of issue, had the same, same problem. Um, she reached out to Angie. She was talking to Angie about it. And then um, they you know, found out about ARP and they said, hey, let's go. It's a couples meeting. So she goes with um, the other wife to this meeting he comes back and is like, this is awesome. You got to, um, you know, we're, we're Skype calling each other like twice a day. And so uh, that next call is just like, oh, this is so cool. Like you got to come with us. Like they talk about how it's a whole mental issue and it's a whole, like it's an addiction and it's there, there's a 12 step program and everything. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, maybe let me, I'll test it out when I get back. You know, I yeah. still had a month and a half, two months. But I was just like, okay, sure, you know, whatever sounds good. Like I've been trying this for years. I doubt it's gonna work. What, what's some book gonna help me, right? <laughs> I've read self-help books before. <laughs> um, yeah. But this one, this one was different. Um, sure enough, you know, I got back. It was different, you know. It was my first time in any kind of meeting like that. But it was the same stories as I've heard heard the guys talking. Um, it was just like that's me like six years ago or that was me just you know three months ago and holy cow it's like my exact story just like 30 years older than me <laughs> which is crazy because i think what he said to me after he got home he's like oh i'm not like those guys it's not that bad for me and yeah, i was like know, like in that denial yeah very much in denial yeah like oh you know like they're they're okay like they're pretty, they're bad, but I'm not that bad, you know, mm -hmm. but I wasn't even thinking about everything I had done in the past. Like I was just thinking, you know, pornography and dirty pictures, dirty magazines, like, mm -hmm. you know, and I didn't think about the, the emotional affairs or the, the acting out or the damage even to her. Yeah. So Angie, when you guys started going to these meetings and after you'd been attending for some time, did you see a change in Russ? during those times or was it just kind of going through the motions? I I think it was more of just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. um, I think we only attended maybe about a month um, before I got pregnant with our son Skylar. And when I found out I was pregnant, I basically told Russ, I was like, you have to go to these meetings. You don't have a choice. I'm not going to raise our son in this situation. Like this needs to end. And so it was much like forced on him. Yeah. Uh, which at the time I just thought that that was the only option, you know, and so I was attending, but I wasn't participating. I wasn't doing any steps. I wasn't writing anything down. I wasn't journaling. I was. I wasn't. There was no work other than sitting there for an hour and a half. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then it just continued like that. And then after Skylar was born, I ended up stopping going to the meetings because I had a little baby, and it was just we we both did. They kind of. Uh, uh, and then we ended up finding another group. That one, I don't know. We, we tried a couple times, but I think it was just like a bad night. And then I found another 12-step program, um, mm -hmm. just a regular like SA or SAA mm -hmm. or SSA, something like that. It's not not, church. not church affiliated or anything, yeah. but it was uh, another 12-step program. Very similar, except the guys were, you know, that just the spiritual aspect of it wasn't as strong as mm -hmm. our church's program. Um, and so, like, again, I tried a couple times. Yeah. So at, at this time, like, were you, I don't know, were you like working with your bishop? Were you kind of 
did you go through any of the steps or anything like that? I mean, it seems like you were actively going to meetings, but um, I'm just kind of wondering where you were at. So, yeah, no, it was just showing up. She said, I got to go to these meetings. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. I just showed up for the meetings. There's no dailies. There's no journaling. Or there was no questions to fill out or, you know, step-by-step mm -hmm. step to like work. And definitely not working with the bishop. Like he yeah. might've mentioned it once in a while at an interview. And then it's just the same kind of thing. Like, okay, we'll read your scriptures, say your prayers. Don't do it again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how are you feeling during this time, Angie, when it was just a lot of rust going through the motions? I'm sure he was kind of saying stuff like, oh, I'm doing better or it's going to get better. You were about to have a baby or it sounded like you maybe had Skylar at that point. What was going through your mind during those times? Uh, after having Sky, I think I just mostly focused on him. I was just trying to like be a mom, do all the mom things, you know, just kind of hope maybe that Russ would start getting better, but still not much hope in that. My self-esteem was really, really low. And I think it got worse because through all of that and through doing all that I, I thought I could to help him get better, he still turn around to pornography. Um, and that was devastating to me. It's like, I did all of this stuff for you. Like I'm doing everything that I can. And you still go to that. That was, that was really bad. And then with being pregnant, I gained about 60 pounds. I worked as hard as I could, as fast as I could after he was born to lose it all, you know, like get back to my pre-baby shape. And still like, it just, he just kept turning to that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I was really, um, I wasn't trying to like draw closer to God, honestly. I was trying to control Russ. I was trying to control what I could, you know, hoping that he, he would eventually stop, I guess. I think that's so uh, normal for a lot of women to feel the same way that you were feeling of just trying to control their husband and it made them feel, it makes you feel safer. It makes you feel like you're more in control of the situation. But like you were saying, like you had really low self-esteem and it wasn't really working that great for your marriage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us what happened next yeah. in your story. Um, I was, I was still uh, acting out. I was still chatting. Um, I was just doing better at hiding it. Mm -hmm. I think he got out of the military. Oh yeah. Yeah. He got out of the military. He was working for a solar company. Uh, so work was just really boring, you know, and that's one of the things that we talk about is, you know, having that like leads to, being to, to acting out is you know being stressed and bored and angry and depressed and upset and stuff like that and and so then I started okay well like what can I do to make the day go by faster and stuff and so I ended up finding another chat room website something an app and I ended up deciding to meet with somebody and I went picked her up we said hey let's go get some food so we went to, uh, to get some food and, uh, hang on before you continue. Let me tell my side of that. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that morning we had planned that we were going to go have lunch. Like after I was done with work, we were going to go have lunch and like, kind of have a little date. Russell's mom was taking care of Skylar cause I was trying to wean him off. And so we kind of had some like grown up time, right? And mm -hmm. so I was really, really looking forward to like this date. And we were talking about like going out that night to like a movie or something. And so I finally finished the bridal party and I sent him a text and was like, do you still want to meet up for lunch? 
And he just texted me back saying, no, I already ate. And I was just kind of like, I was upset and hurt because I've been looking forward to that. And so anyway, I was just like, okay, fine. Well, I'm just going to head home. I'll probably, I didn't say this, but I was like, I'll probably just stop for, for lunch by myself and go home and try to figure out something to do to keep my mind busy um, while Skylar is gone and while Russ is gone. And so on my way home, I stopped at this random place um, off the freeway. It was Chipotle. So the place wasn't random, but like <laughs> the thought of stopping there was really random. Yeah. Um, so I went into Chipotle. I was ordering food. I finished ordering food. And then I turned to my left and Russ was walking in with this girl. I completely flipped out. I flipped out. I am wow. not proud of this at all. But at first I just looked at him like, is he coming to meet me? Like, and then I realized, wait, I didn't tell him I was going here. And then I realized he's with someone else. Like he just opened the door for that girl. Yeah, I opened the door, like, you know, like showed her in kind of thing, right? And then I stepped in and Angie was right there. She had food in her hand, getting ready to walk out the door. And I was just like, oh, hi. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, and then we stepped outside. No, I think you, I think you grabbed my arm and guided me outside because you knew I was about to start screaming and fought in the parking lot. I was, I, there was people like recording us and everything. Like it was bad. It was bad. She goes like going back into the restaurant to talk to this girl. Right. I'm just like, he was like to, it's just a friend. Like it's not anything like I, And yeah. I walked in hey, do you know that he's married? Like he has an 18 month old son. I'm his wife. And she's like, I had no idea he was married. I'm so oh sorry. Goodness. Like she was super sweet about everything. Like I'm sure she was mortified. Um, but yeah, like I was just like screaming at him. Like, how could you? Like, I'm so done. I can't believe you would do this to me. Like you have a baby at home. Like all the yelling, yeah. all the yelling. I told him, I was like, when you get home, like I want you gone. And so I got in the car, I drove as fast as I could to our home. We like argued some more outside of our house. And I was like, I'm gonna go get our son. Like you need to be gone by the time I get back. And so, um, yeah, I ended up, you know, shortly after just leaving and taking our, taking Skylar and just like crying the whole way home. Like, how am I gonna do this? You know, how am I gonna be a single mom? How am I gonna explain this to him when he's older? Like all of the things that were rushing through my head. And I think when we got home, you were gone. And then that first night, I was going crazy thinking, what is he doing? Who is he with? Did I just make this worse? Like, at, at that point now, we had a little bit of understanding about the addiction and all that stuff. So he had, like, phone restrictions on his phone, um, like, password-protected stuff, but it wasn't very good. Somewhere, I read that, like, you would never leave an alcoholic alone at a bar so you should never leave a pornography addict alone in the same kind of like situation, right? Yeah. So in my head, I was just like, he's like basically drowning in his addiction right now. Yeah. Like, how could I do this to him? Like, how could I just throw him out in the street and leave him with this demon, right? I was, I was torturing myself, feeling so guilty that I had kicked him out. And, um, and I think it took him like two or three days before he actually responded to my text, begging him to come home, which I still can't believe I did because through all of that, I, I can't believe I was begging him to come home. Like he had just cheated on me and I had just caught him 
And I was begging him to come home and I was just like, please come, like come see your son at the very least, come see. And um, he finally ended up coming home and I think it was mostly because he wanted the password to his phone, honestly. But I was just so happy that he was home. And I was just like, you know, kind of low key trying to ask him where he'd been and what he'd been doing and stuff. And he's like, oh, I just slept in my truck. And I think he slept at a friend's house another night. Yeah, we had a mutual friend couple. Mm -hmm. Which was like, you know, kind of comforting to me, but still like, again, trying to control the situation, I guess. Yeah. And so I ended up telling him, I was like, I want you to stay home. And um, we were talking about divorce because I honestly didn't want to be married to him anymore. But I was just worried for him. And I told him, I was like, I really think that you need to get clean and you need to get sober. And after that, I'll be happy to divorce you. If you still want to get divorced after that, I'll be happy to do it. We're just not going to do it when we're both in this negative space. I didn't want to do it out of anger and I didn't want him to do it when he was not thinking clearly. And so that was kind of our agreement. Like, okay, fine. Well, you know, I guess he's gonna have to put some effort into his meetings. I think it was around then also that I had heard about boundaries. And so we talked about like setting boundaries, especially if he was gonna be home, he was not gonna have, you know, any unfiltered devices in our home, especially with our son. And, um, so we set up boundaries, but I think it was mostly just with the intent of him getting sober, not actually hopeful to stay married. It's kind of crazy, like like Jekyll and Hyde kind of situation with knowing he's making really bad choices and wanting to be good and make good choices. And then when he's in addict mode, it was just like a whole different person. And I remember certain times looking at Russ when he's in addict mode, and like his pupils are dilated, like he just looks different, um, which was so scary several times because I'm just like, I'm not even getting through to him. Like yeah. I'm talking to a wall right now. Um, but it's so crazy how how big of a difference that is. Yeah. Um, which I think also helped motivate me to like to love him and separate him from his addiction, even though that was really painful. Yeah, I bet. I'm sure it took a long time and a lot of reflection on your part, but I love that you were able to find that separation and you kind of mentioned finding empathy for him and seeing him as a child of God and not bringing that on you, right? And on your marriage and on your relationship, more just about him as an individual who's also an addict. Mm -hmm. So let's jump to the next part of your story. Uh, is it a couple of years later for the next big part that happens in your story? Mm -hmm. Really briefly after that, we decided to move to Utah because we didn't like, I felt like the California environment in general was just toxic and there's been a lot of bad things that had gone on in there and um, kind of wanted to, to get away. We were still like looking to separate. Um, we had found a good therapist. He was like kind of helping us through it a little bit better, but we just decided kind of like the fresh start would be good. We were still kind of like with intent to separate and possibly divorce if like Russ didn't start showing more effort. But anyway, so we moved here. I got pregnant with Ollie shortly after that. And again, I was just kind of freaking out in my head thinking like, well, now we have another kid to worry about, you know, 
ultimately we found Addo Recovery, which is, I think, a really big recovery group here in Utah. And they really, really helped us. They focus on sex addiction and pornography addiction and mm -hmm. marriage counseling and all that stuff, which was really good. And so we decided like, okay, we're gonna really try this. Like we're gonna stay together and we're gonna work harder. And we were working individually with a therapist and we were also working together sometimes. Um, I ended up having Olivia, I think it was shortly after she was born. I think she was only like a month old. Russ was saying he wanted to get divorced again. And I was just like, she was just born. Like, you could, like, like we just had a baby. Like, like horrible timing. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of like just going back and forth. Boundaries weren't necessarily broken, but they weren't really being like, I wasn't being as observant with them or this is needed to be. Um, and yeah, Ollie was about six months old when. Russ had told me he was going to go out flying. He was in the flight program. And he was supposed to be out in class for a good chunk of the day. So I wasn't really thinking about it too much. I got a knock on my door. And like I said, I have bad anxiety. I have, you know, I've struggled with all of those things. And so I feel like most of the time, if like somebody knocks on my door, I'm like, okay, someone's coming to kill me or like something bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, it's anxiety is the worst. Sometimes yeah. I, I talk about like, okay, where's the closest weapon? Like, what could I use before I enter my door? It's bad. <laughs> I but anyways, this time I opened the door and there was a bunch of policemen standing in my front porch. And automatically I just thought like, Russ is dead. Like why else would there be a bunch of yeah. policemen in my And then one of the guys started talking. He's like, your husband's in custody. Like, we need to come in, we need to search your home. And my mind was just like, I wish Russ was dead. Like, I wish they would have just told me he was dead because now I'm gonna kill him. Like, I was so shocked. And I quickly thought like, am I like, can I say no? Can I tell them not to come in? Or do I have to let them come in? Was, like my kids were standing right next to me. I think I was holding wow. Ali, I was right there next to me. He's kind of like asking me like, what are they doing? What's going on? Like, but I can't answer him all this other stuff going on. And I was just like, yeah, I guess like come in. And they said they had to search Russell's computer. They asked me if my computer was ever used by him. And I was like, no, I have the password. Like he doesn't even know it. And I'm even shaking now just thinking about it. But yeah, we just, we talked and they told me the charges for him, which was enticing a minor. And I was just like, what is that? Like, what does that mean? And they told me that he had been talking to this girl um, and with intent to meet up with her and she was a minor and they arrested him. And that was basically all they told me. And so then they, they, took his, they took all of his stuff. He had a bunch of monitors, which probably looked creepy as heck <laughs> for his job. Like he had like, like three or four monitors set up, which, yeah. But anyway, they ended up not finding anything. Um, yeah, they left and I just remember like physically collapsing to my knees, to my ankle, like just to the floor and just let out a huge scream. I just yelled in anger, so much anger. I scared my kids. My poor kids were like trying to figure out what's wrong. Like, how can we help you? I think Skylar was like trying to wipe tears off my face. Like they're just the sweetest 
most empathetic kids. I, I couldn't even answer them. I called my brother and he came over right away. He looked a little bit like 20 minutes away and he came over right away. I think I just sat there on the floor that whole time because I don't remember moving. And he just like, he didn't even ask questions. He just like picked up my kids and like took them away, which I'm so grateful for because I needed that to just like dwell in my misery. Finally, like was able to kind of explain to my brother what happened, just kind of comfort my kids and tell them everything was going to be fine, even though I didn't know if everything was going to be fine. Obviously, I was really, really angry. And my brother was just like, I'm just going to stay here as long as you need me to, which I was grateful for because I actually already had a therapist meeting set up for later that day. Like I said, we were going to Addo. And so um, on my way to the therapist, I was just like screaming, probably swearing. I don't remember crying. I was really, really angry. And I was really, really angry with God. Feeling like I've been doing so much to try to help him. Again, the controlling thing. I had been um, just work working myself to the point where I felt like I had no identity left in me because I was just so worried about everybody else and everything else. And no matter what I tried, it wasn't helping. Like I felt like I had given everything I could. And so I was just really angry. And um, I planned on just like unloading everything to a therapist and just kind of maybe yelling at him even more <laughs> and try to find the best plan for divorcing Russ with, with two kids and all that stuff. And um, right before I got to the therapist's office, I was at a stoplight, again, just really angry. And I was just mad at God. And I remember very, very clearly hearing a voice that said, why are you so angry? This is the answer to your prayers. And I was just like, what? What are you talking about? This is not what I wanted. I didn't want him to be arrested. I wanted him to be in recovery. That's what I wanted. And, um, just feeling so confused like what do you mean right like how is this a good thing I was in pain my kids were gonna have to go through this now like of my husband being arrested and all this stuff um but still like I just felt peace and I got to the therapist's office I was so calm which is insane like after the whole day I was calm I sat down on his couch and he's like how are you doing and I was just like you know, it's okay. And I kind of like told him the story and he was just like looking at me like, why aren't you, why aren't you yelling? Like, how are you okay right now? Yeah. Exactly. Like, what? He was just, what? And I just felt so calm. I still didn't really know why or what was going to happen or how this was the answer to my prayers or whatever. But yeah, that's how I felt. And I, I mean, I couldn't deny that that was what I heard was that this was the answer to my prayers. Wow. Wow. That's, um, that's a lot, Angie. That's a lot to feel. Um, Russ, what was going on for you at this time? What was going through your mind? Oh, okay. So I'll backtrack a little bit. Um, back when we were in California, even when we got this, like our second therapist and, um, you know, still attending meetings, just going through the motions. I'd actually gotten like, this it, my my addiction just got just kept going downhill just got worse and worse even at, like it was totally two-faced 
you know, like she said, Dr. Jekyll and yeah. Mr. Hyde. It's, it's Dr. Jekyll at home when I'm with the family people, but it's Mr. Hyde whenever you went time I was on my own. I actually I had created like fake weirdo emails and I had actually my from going from dirty pictures and videos went to like well like what's the point of a picture this is actually trying to meet somebody right mm-hmm. um i had started reaching out to people through like craigslist ads and whatever hookup ads um nothing really ever came to it thankfully um i think that is uh i think i was that was heavenly father watching over me you know like hey you're you don't need it you don't want to do this um but i'm gonna you know so i'm gonna put all these blockers in your way so you have never actually like meet with anybody um so and at the time i'm like upset like why can't i even do this? this is southern california like people come out here to do this kind of thing like how can i not find this but you know again that's having father watching out for us and that didn't change like when we moved to utah that nothing changed um, I still had, even if I was like, you know what, I want to get rid of the email. Uh, like I got up here and I made another one. Like at some point, even like I, I went to get clean, but then it's like, well, you know, hey, let me just fall back off the horse to where I was standing last time. And um, I ended up again making emails and screen names or whatever. And that's what happened is uh, I, I ended up finding this one ad on, on Craigslist and uh, you know, talking, she replies. And at one point she's like, oh, I'm like 13 or 14 or something. I'm like, what are you even doing on here? Like, this is dumb, you be careful, right? I, I didn't delete the number. I didn't have it like saved completely, but I didn't delete it. And then it'd be like a month later, I'd reach out when I was in my attic mode and you know, wanted somebody to talk to. You know, the, a lot of the underlying issue with this addiction is like, connection is a lack of connection or it's it's needing that that connection right and so that's really what I was looking for is I didn't really want to hook up with somebody like I, you know with this crazy stuff you can get nowadays like who would want to do that but it was really just like I need somebody to talk to so when I was like in my Mr. Hyde mode I would you know, like reach out and text this number it's just real quick and conversations never lasted very long or anything uh and then again it was like one night of texting and then it's a month of not and then you know that went on uh for three months or something and then it's finally was like you know hey that's you know i'm free tomorrow um which i really wasn't i had school to go to i actually skipped class to like meet this this girl and um and then it turned out it was a bunch of undercover cops surrounded my vehicle and pulled me out and I, I got arrested. Um, I uh, was like, so stupid, like, what, how could I have done this, you know? And I was just like, oh, I'll get out of it. I'll like, I'll be out today. I can get home and he's never gonna find out. Like, no, this was, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. You know, too many, watching too many cop movies. Like, no, you don't just like bail out in, in two hours and, and you're back to your normal life. Um, I ended up spending a night in jail, uh, just down there at county, and uh, uh, got on the phone, talked to, finally got a hold of Angie, and um, we talked on the phone, and it was like, no, it's just a big misunderstanding. 
you know, the cops are just making it sound worse than it is. And she's like, oh, you know, blowing up. Well, I'd say blowing up, but she was really, she's saying it. Like, this saying is, it, this is, it is what the cops told me, you know, like, how is this, how is this wrong? You know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, um, so it was actually her brother who uh, paid bail. I got out the next day and uh, we ended up going to. I wanted to leave him in there, but my brother told me to get him out. Like, think of your kids. Like, you can't leave your husband in jail. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, we ended up going to uh, Bishop, a brand new Bishop. <laughs> it's like his first week on the job. Nice. Wow. Bishop, we got an emergency meeting. We need to do this right now. He's like, well, I usually don't meet on, like, it was like Wednesday night. He's like, oh, I don't meet Wednesdays. Can you make a meeting for, like, Sunday or Tuesdays? No, we need to meet right now. He's like, all right. We get to the church. Everything, lay everything out on the table for him. He's just like, Wow. <laughs> okay, this is gonna be harder than I thought. <laughs> no wonder you needed to talk to me. Is this what I signed up for? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he said, Oh, I can see the emergency, right? Yeah, this makes sense. This is a this is an emergency. Um, and so we talked and um I don't even remember what we talked about, but like you know, getting serious about therapy and recovery and uh you know, figuring out the whole legal thing, um, the, the courts and stuff. I had a, for the next about year or so, I went through um, courts about every month or so with my attorney. And uh, it's just like, oh, we're, we're deferred for another month. Okay, deferred for another month. We're, we're waiting on this or that. We'll wait for another month. So really lame. Took about almost a year to get through. Finally go to court in uh, January. And my attorney's like, yeah, we got nothing. Um, they've got like four witnesses and, and you spilled your guts. I mean, I did when I was arrested, I'm like thinking, okay, ask for an attorney, ask for an attorney. And then the cops sent me down, like hand me a juice and you want a soda? Here's a soda. Here's some donuts. And they're like, so what happened? And then, you, and then I just started talking. Oh. <laughs> and everything came out. I'm like, well, what happened to the attorney? <laughs> and then he was also asked to, um, to sign or to fill out a letter to the girl's oh, parents. Yeah. Saying like I'm really sorry that this happened, blah blah blah. Basically admitting he was guilty. Yeah. He, he was admitting he was guilty. Was he still didn't know it was a sting operation. Completely sting. Um, That's just this 14 year old girl that I was talking to was a you know 40 something year old mm-hmm. undercover police officer, um, or a group of them, anyways. You know, and is their whole their whole job was to catch people like me, but uh, the judge was really fair. It was really fair, really nice. Um, the prosecutor, not so much, but the judge, he um, he let me off with uh, 45 days of jail and I had already spent one in one night, so that counted. 90 days on a GPS tracker. So mm-hmm. I got to come home, I got to go to work. I just had to like keep track of some, like where I was going and who it was with. They actually like, any time I had to go somewhere, like I had to have somebody sign it. I go to work, yeah. my boss signed it that I was, yes, I was with them between this time and that time. And if mm-hmm. I went to a job interview, it's like, yeah, here's a, here's a job interview. Can you sign this for me? Thanks. Thank you for interviewing me. Please sign <laughs> this, this tracking sheet for me. So I did that, went, had to go through a court man, court approved uh, like sex offender therapy. Um, that helped the most. My, the, the therapist, Dr. Roby was amazing. Started going to, we actually were attending the church's ARP group well before I was arrested. 
And it was, you know, again, we're going through the motions, kind of working the steps, nothing too big. Um, Addo, the, uh, so I don't think we've explained them, but they're a, a sex therapy group. Yeah. I did say that. We did? Okay. Well, they they helped a lot too. So I did the work with them after my rest. So after my rest, like that was my rock bottom. That finally, after everything that we've gone through, that was my rock bottom. Mm -hmm. um, things turned around, started taking things seriously, working steps uh, with both my therapist and, and the AOP group. Uh, Dr. Roby, it was the same kind of steps, just in a different order. Um, and not just like one through 12, it was, yeah, you know, it was like, it was a whole like year and a half program. So I went through that and um, finally completed that, got off of that after about two years. And then my probation officer was able to get the judge to grant a, an early release of probation. And so I got that certificate up in my office. And then through all of that, I, like after he was arrested and after he came home and he told me, you know, he was never going to do this again. This, you know, he was done. He was going to change and things that I had heard before. Mm -hmm. I was very reluctant, but I also still kind of had that in my head of this is the answer to my prayers, right? So interested to see how that was going to play mm -hmm. out. And the thing that was really different for me is I didn't put any trust in him. And I didn't try to control him. I said, okay, well, you know what? If you're going to do this and you're going to have to do this because I can't do this for you. I've obviously been trying and failing miserably for the last years. And I realized I couldn't do anything for him. And so that's when I really was just like, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> you know, like, because that's, that's all I could do. All I could do yeah. is trust in Heavenly Father and... You know, obviously with the groups, we learn about also taking care of ourselves and um, just the support guide is so good about all of that, you know, self-care and um, mm -hmm. taking care of our own like mental and spiritual beings and stuff, which is really, really important. And so I just really had to put all those things into practice and be like, okay, if he's going to be doing dailies, I'm going to be doing dailies. Mm -hmm. If he needs to read scriptures, I need to read scriptures because I need this just as much as he does. Right? I need to draw closer to God because there's nobody else right now. Like I can't hold on to anything else. And yeah, that's like, I, I really, really, really had to learn to trust in God. And it was really hard for me as someone who has very controlling tendencies to let go of that control. And um, the boundaries that we had set in place years ago, there's you know, obviously there's several different things, but one of the last things is like, okay, if this, if you're not doing your part, then we're going to proceed with divorce. And I finally felt at peace with that. I finally felt like, okay, if Russ isn't going to do it, there's nothing else I can do. And if we have to get divorced because he's not going to do his part, then I'm okay with that. Like that's on him. That's no longer on me. And so I kind of went into that still not knowing, like, am I going to be married in a year? Am I not going to be married in a year? but just really trusting that whatever was going to happen was going to happen and knowing that I was going to be okay, regardless of what happened in my marriage. And uh, so after um, I was, uh, after I spent that night in jail, you know, I told her I'm going to do whatever I need to, to, to get clean and, and sober and everything. 
Um, it, I, I worked on it. Um, I did, I, you know, relapsed a couple times, um, but it was longer periods, you know, it's like 30 days and then it was like 60 days. And, um, I finally got to a point where it just kept going and, and going and um, it was, it was really good. Like through the years, Angie's like, are these right? Are, is this correct? Like, are your, your sobriety date, is this, is this legit? Are you lying to me? And I'm like, no, this is it. Like, this is real. Like, and she's like, well, how come you haven't done it before? I was like, I don't know. I just, it worked. Like, it's because he was actually putting in the effort. Yeah, I was actually doing yeah. work. I was looking at, you know, like the underlying issues and the reasons why I was acting out and, you know, working the, the 12 steps, um, but really, I mean, you can call it the 24 steps. If you put the, the recovery book and the support book together, they should really be both worked by, at least they add it. Um, I think they, they both really apply to uh, recovery. And, um, and then, like I said, the therapy I was going through was really helping and looking at like reasons of what you're doing to yourself and um, you know, how you're hurting the people around you. It's, you're thinking, oh, it's just, you know, it's my mind. I'm the one looking at these pictures. I'm the one wasting my time and like frying my own brain cells, right? And so like, how's that really hurting others? And when you look, think about it and you, well, you know, it's time away from them and the attitudes that I'm giving them and the, the, t the lack of attention that I'm giving them and, um, you know, time spending with them and all that. Um, that's how they're being hurt. And the feelings, you know, Angie, thinking about who I'm looking at and what I'm thinking about her or this woman or that woman or just kind of being zoned out, zoned out. Like she said, I was, we were at SeaWorld and I'm just on the phone the whole time. I, you know, not even remembering that day. It's, yeah, because I wasn't, I wasn't there mentally. Um, and I think that was the biggest difference as soon as he actually started putting in the effort and, um, you know, gaining more and more sobriety is his attitude towards everything was completely different. Mm -hmm. If I had a question, it wasn't just like immediately put back on me as me being suspicious of everything, right? It was more of an understanding, okay, like, I get that this is why you're maybe thinking this way. So I'm going to be honest and open with you, right? Instead of like gaslighting and all the other like manipulative type things. Not that he was doing it on purpose because he's never been like bad guy, I guess, but just the things that he was doing without thinking about it. It's in his attic. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. And that was that, like I said, that was the biggest difference. So how has your marriage changed since you were arrested? Well, the that first year that he was like going through court and going through all of those things was still really rough because like I said, I had absolutely no trust in him. And like, I didn't know if we were gonna stay married or not. But then he went to jail. Um, when he came out of jail, he was really, really, really different as well. And there was so much more humility in him than I'd ever seen, which was crazy. Um, and he just went on and on and talked to me for days about all the people that he met and all the issues. And cause he was with a bunch of other um, sex addicts or um, sex offenders. offenders. And so kind of like telling their stories and how it helped him in this way or how he helped others in that way. 
um, which was really, really cool. Um, that's where he actually got the idea of starting our YouTube channel mm -hmm. is because he's like, people need to know that there's hope. People need to know that there's recovery programs that, that there's something else that you can do about it because there was a lot of guys in there that didn't know. Mm -hmm. And um, so having him like have that attitude and like come back home and literally was just like thanking me for staying with him, which he'd never done before thanking me for staying with him, thanking me for like believing in him, for trusting him and for all these things when he'd been so bad towards me was so huge for my soul. Like, it's like all I ever wanted in life was for him to say sorry and mean it because there's a, a, lot of, a lot of empty sorries out there, you know, like, oh, sorry, I won't do it again. Oh, sorry. And it's just like swept under the rug. But this time I actually felt it and I actually believed him. And so then as we, were we doing therapy or how did we start with like all of the trust discussions and stuff to help us build the trust between each other? Because like mm -hmm. I said, I had all my trust in God, but I needed to be able to trust him as well. Otherwise it's never going to work out. And so um, doing those things where every single night we talked about our days, he told me what he was struggling with in, on, like, in all honesty and I didn't judge him for it. And I was also able to open up with the things I'm struggling with and you know, him also have empathy and things like that. Um, and so that slowly started to build our trust in each other, um, mostly me on him. And yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's completely different than it's been our whole marriage. I mean, even now, like now he's been in recovery for several years. I mean, his arrest was over four, almost four years ago. Um, so we don't do like the daily discussions as much as we probably could still honestly do them. It's not like it's going to hurt anything, but I don't feel that anxiety that I used to and the questioning and all of those things um, because the trust has been restored. Probably one of the last questions that I have, at least, is how I would love to hear from both of you about how your relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ has changed over the years and what you what that relationship is like now after everything that you guys have been through. Um, so, yeah, my relationship with uh, Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ has I mean, definitely been like the highest that it's, it's ever been before. Um, even growing up, I wasn't really a strong member. I was, my mom and I are converts, my brothers as well. Um, so we didn't grow up, grow up in the church really. Um, got baptized when I was 10 or 11. And, um, but then you, that was like in the middle of my addiction and in my use. And really with all that, that I was going through, I didn't really have a strong testimony or stuff or anything really, because, uh, we went through, we went to church occasionally. Uh, we were strong churchgoers and members and stuff. So I uh, didn't serve a mission. I ended up enlisting instead. And uh, so that didn't help either. But um, uh, this has definitely been the, the strongest uh, that it's, it's ever been before. So I went through the church disciplinary court, the, the actions that the church takes, um, you know, when members do bad things. And um, that helped a lot. Like I wasn't able to um, partake of the sacrament or use my priesthood. Um, you know, couldn't give like group prayers and everything. And so 
I wouldn't say that like hindered my recovery or my um, my relationship with Heavenly Father. It was kind of, it's, you know, it's a bummer kind of like, you know, can't say prayers or, you know, not to pass the sacrament or even here at home, you know, with COVID, everybody being at home and church services being at home, not being able to, to pass that or anything. Um, or even partake of it, partake of it. Um, you know, when we would have sacrament, uh, even before COVID, we're sitting there and sacraments come in and, my, you know, my son's like, oh, Dad, did you get some? And then the water comes and, Dad, did, why didn't you take a water? And, well, you know, remember we talked about this and um, it was like every week, that's the same question. Why didn't you take this? You know, so I was like, hey, not so loud. Like, <laughs> of people behind us don't even know that. <laughs> uh, but there was, so there was that. Um, I didn't let that stop me. And it was like, oh, I can't take sacraments. So now I'm not going to go to church. And now I'm going to hate God and, you know, Heavenly Father. And then I just, hey, that's what he says. That's what, um, you know, the state president, the first presidency said I needed to go through and needed to do. I was only disfellowshipped. And then going back through the follow-up court date, well, the church court date, I, uh, after all the legal stuff was done and taken care of, done with probation, followed up with the state presidency, and um, he's, he's okay. We'll 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 pray about it. Um, this is what we think, but we'll pray about it and we'll forward it to the first presidency. Comes you know, turns out it's up to the prophet to reinstate your membership and everything. And so um, it was a few weeks later um, is actually postponed about a almost a year um, because of COVID with you know bishops and state presidencies not meeting and everybody yeah. having a social distance and we couldn't get together and like a year ago that I should have you know when I could have been reinstated as a member uh, so I was finally finally able to sit down with the state presidency and and he heard back from the first presidency he says you're good to go your full membership you just had to go in and change my record and oh. you can pass the sacrament or take a sacrament we met with the like the whole group i don't know what they're called um twice the first time it was like right after um he had been charged and like spent time in jail and they kind of decided what they were going to do as far as like church discipline mm -hmm. and the second time was when like probation was over and they were just gonna like see what happened with the first presidency um but both times i was able to be in there with them and that second time being in there and like they asked him to like bear his testimony and like what he learned kind of thing and that was just like super powerful to me because i'd never even hear him heard him bear his testimony before i mean we've been married 11 years now and that was the first time that I heard him like actually talk about these things that we believe in and stuff. Um, so that was really, really powerful to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, this whole process though, it's just, you know, when I was in my addiction mode and just really, especially when I was really deep in my, my use, uh, it was all like, I was very prideful you know, it's like really like I'm special and I'm, you know, better than all these people. And, you know, I see somebody like trip on a sidewalk, can't even walk, you know, and I was just, it's so mean. 
you know, just going through all this has just really woken me up to like, we are all just children of God. We're all the same. We go through everything. You have no idea what the person sitting next to you in class or on the bus or in the other car, like what they're going through. They, you could be having a great day and they're having their worst day of their life. Uh, you know, you can't be, you can't be so judgmental and, and prideful of yourself. Uh, you're, you're, you're nobody's no better than anybody. It's just extremely stupid of me to be judgmental uh, that I was when I was in my addiction mode. Um, and, and I never saw that. Like I never realized how bad my attitude and my mentality it was um, being that way. And, and I, I've been like that for, I'm 34, like 20 years almost. And the most of my life, like it's just growing up through my teenage years, my young adult years, like that's how I was. And I never knew any different until the last four years. Um, like like the, uh, the scriptures in, um, Alma the Younger, you know, he, how the scriptures um, describe him, like he was, he was bad, like he did bad things, he led people astray, and then an angel appeared to him and, and stopped him in his tracks, and then he became like one of the best prophets, in my opinion, in the Book of Mormon, and I'm not saying I am him or anything, but anybody out there could be like that, uh, you could be the worst person nearly, but Heavenly Father still loves each and every one of us the same. And he wants us all to, to do better and to, to be better and to, to return with him. Yeah, that's awesome. And Russ, I appreciate you sharing so much and just, you know, being vulnerable with everything. Um, what's just kind of my last question for you. And I think Katie has another question, uh, maybe for Angie, but what would you tell someone you know, who's kind of early in their recovery, maybe they've hit rock bottom, maybe they haven't, um, but just kind of in the middle of it all and just really struggling, maybe in a really dark place. What, what advice, what would you tell them um, just from your experience? Just get over yourself. Uh, you can't, it, it's so much easier with help. Um, find a, a sponsor, find a, a loved one, uh, a friend, somebody who cares. Our addiction thrives in secrecy. Yeah. And the way to overcome that is just to, to get it out there. You don't have to do what we did or what you do, you're doing and you know, create podcasts and shows and you don't have to like fly a banner around saying, hey, I'm working on pornography. Um, not working on that's worded wrong, <laughs> but uh, I'm overcoming <laughs> pornography. Um, but uh, just talk to somebody, get help. I can't, I'm not going to say you can't do it on your own, but because I've heard of guys doing it, whether I really believe them or not, like yeah. and that's not for me to judge. Um, sure. That's awesome if they were able to, but if you've been struggling for like, you know, years, like I have 20 years of trying to get over it by yourself, just one day it's not going to snap and you're going to get over it by yourself. You've been trying, uh, you know, get started early, the earlier, the better, find help program, go to one of the AASA meetings, you know, hi, I'm Bob. I'm here because I looked at porn. Um, thank you. You know, start simple. 
but don't give up either. Yeah, that's awesome. There's hope. There, there's there, there's a way. There's recovery, and stay strong. Cool, Katie. I love that, Russ. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, and Angie, your story is so inspiring to me. And I mean, both of your stories are so inspiring to me. But I really connect with you, Angie, because I'm a woman. I've been through some similar things, not nearly what you've gone through exactly, but I've been through a lot of things with Matt and just your resilience and your trust in the Lord through the whole process is so inspiring and so amazing to me. And I am just so grateful that you share that. You've shared that in the podcast. You shared that so many times in meetings. And I know you've just changed so many women's lives with your vulnerability and your humility to share those things. So I'm so grateful for you and for how you changed my life in those ways. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you, after everything that you've been through, how have you found your hope and healing? I think, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, the biggest difference for me was in having complete trust in the Savior. Because, you know, I've grown up in the church and I've always felt like, okay, I trust Heavenly Father. One of my favorite uh, scriptures ever is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which is trust in the Lord. And so I've kind of always just felt like I trust in God. Um, but that trust was really put to the test when I had to fully let go of everything. And I think that's that's what's made the biggest difference. Um, learning that I was not in control of anything, that I had no say in anything that Russ did, that... Um, my salvation wasn't dependent on Russ either. And just being able to let go of that. Oh, that's, that's really cool that you were able to get to that place. And like you said, I'm sure you've always felt, oh, I trust in God. I know what that means. But when it really came down to it, I feel like you probably had to dig really deep and kind of find that deeper relationship with Heavenly Father and with your Savior. And it seems like you've really been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Russ, Angie, we just thank you so much. We appreciate your time tonight. Your your vulnerability and um, just your ability to to talk about those hard times and your struggles and just your story and share it with us and, and with other people as well that will hopefully listen to this. And for the listeners out there, Russ and Angie have an awesome YouTube channel. We'll put a little link in the show notes so you guys can go look and hear more about their story because they are so awesome and share more details and um, more experiences on that YouTube channel too. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We would love for you to rate and review this podcast as well as share it with everyone you know. For information about the church's 12-step and support meetings, please visit arp.churchofjesuschrist.org. We encourage everyone to find a sponsor or support person. If you have any questions, feedback, are looking for a sponsor, or would like to be a sponsor, please contact us at sobrietypodcast at gmail.com. We are always looking for more guests, so if you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed, please contact us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.